again, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower. And with me, as always, is my colleague and friend, Beck Barnes. Now, as, as, we, as we're entering the home stretch for cotton planting uh, across the cotton belt, uh, looking at USDA numbers uh, from about a week ago, since 71% of this year's crop was in the ground, I'm sure, uh, sure when the new report comes out later today, that number is going to be significantly higher. Uh, they also said squaring was reporting about 10% of the crop, so that's off to a healthy start. And that overall, the crop condition was in, in pretty great shape. Now, there's still some issues in some parts of the High Plains and up in the Panhandle of Texas, but so far, this season looks like to be off to a good start for, for most of the cotton belt. And speaking of good starts, American Cotton Shippers Association's International Cotton Institute is back in session this year after a two-year hiatus. Uh, that's here in Memphis, uh, at the University of Memphis. And Beck, you met with this year's students last week with a little assignment in mind. Yeah, I sure did, uh, Jim. And and you know you've done this before uh, with this group. But yeah, we get to participate with the uh, Axis International Cotton School. We team with the school and present a uh, essay contest to their students. And uh, we asked them for their input. I think this year's uh, essay topic will be on sustainability, and and they're gonna. Uh, turn in several several of their entries, and we will judge the best one. And you guys in our audience will get to read it uh, online and in the pages of the magazine at some point later in the year. So uh, they always have a neat perspective. Just to give you some context, the students at this school they are a worldly, uh, sharp, like business savvy, cultured bunch. Let me tell you, I mean they're a sharp looking group. They're normally uh, they skew younger. Um, kind of post-grad age, I would say, is normal age of this group. So they're all kind of mid-20s. Again, a very sharp, uh, cultured, stylish. And then into the room steps, you know, uh, Beck Barnes, who's brushing Doritos off of his shirt and uh, has a hole in his pocket. And and uh, <laughs> I, I always feel a little bit uh, intimidated presenting to this sharp group. I mean, they truly are. I mean, these are international business people by definition a lot of them now granted there are a handful of the students in this class are from the farm i mean there are in fact i was talking about our essay and asked for questions and the young man who asked a question was had a nc state uh you know game polo like you would wear to a football game um and i asked him what are you you know i was like are you with i don't know olam richard dreyfus he goes oh no i farm I, i'm from the farm so yeah there are a few uh farm uh, young folks at this thing, which is really neat. And uh, anyhow, I'm rambling here, but it's a great little uh, institute. I think there were 31 students that I spoke to uh, just last week. They're they're in town. They're here in Memphis for four weeks. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have them here. I know that from experience, we've been partnering with them for 15 years now. And I know that the kids who come through that program leave it so much more informed about this industry um, and they make lifelong connections. I, I would recommend it. I had friends from my hometown in Leela, Mississippi, who went through it when we were that age and they just came out with a much more informed view of this global industry that we work in. And I think, I think that's the key right there because again, over the years that we have been involved with the Institute, even just on the peripheral uh, side of it, um, it's not unusual to see some of these students pop up 
in you know in some significant positions uh, within the, within the cotton industry, particularly on the marketing and merchandise merchant side. Um, and again, that's that's one of the reasons why uh, AXA, the American Cotton Shippers Association, puts this program on is to uh, you know is to is to maintain the level of professionalism uh, and uh, and I guess kind of e- try to you know equal the playing field a little bit out there. Um, it acts, of course, professional organization for the merchant segment of the cotton industry. Uh, not only is the Institute one of their major major uh, programs, but they are also very, very active in, uh, in shipping and transportation discussions and legislation, uh, particularly over the last couple of years following the, uh, some of the supply chain breakdowns uh, during the COVID years. Uh, now, years ago, Cotton Grower had a sister publication called Cotton International, uh, which covered that marketing and movement of cotton globally. Um, a lot of consolidations and a lot of things happened in that industry, and we, uh, we turned our focus back to the production side. But this week, uh, Meister CEO Gary Fitzgerald and I will be attending AXA's annual conference. Uh, we're going to be visiting with some longtime acquaintances and try to get the uh, latest story on current issues and legislation impacting this key group and the cotton industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah, and, I would uh, just I would just interject real quick there Jim. I have never felt older in my life than when I mentioned to this group of 20-somethings Cotton International and just kind of crickets in the room and before I could stop myself I said uh, you, you, some of your parents probably know about it. you can ask your parents <laughs> and I could just feel my hair turning gray. I just I've never felt older in my life than saying well, your, parents, your parents would know who I am, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my world, Beck. So yeah. it was good. It was good. Uh, good to be there. Well, good. And I, I'm looking, and I'm looking forward to the meeting, just to uh, you know, to get a, a feel, a different perspective on the industry uh, again. And uh, I mean, it's always a very interesting group to be around. That's uh, that's for sure. And we'll uh, we'll be sure to share a report on that meeting in our next episode of the Cotton Companion. Well, in this episode, we want to take a look at some of the uh, what might be somewhat bullish news from USDA's June supply demand report and what it might mean for cotton prices. And we also want to take a look at the current state of cotton production in Texas, which as of last week was 60% planted and I'm sure a little bit higher by now. To help guide us through these discussions is Dr. John Robinson, professor and extension specialist for cotton marketing at Texas A&M University. He's joining us now in the virtual Cotton Companion studio. John, welcome back. Thanks for taking time to visit with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, before we jump into the market report, last week, weather experts announced that this uh, long-awaited El Nino weather pattern is now officially here. It's We have the official proclamation, and that generally bodes pretty well for Texas and, and could potentially stifle a little bit of hurricane activity this year. Well, after the last few years, Texas growers have kind of been waiting and hoping for this, haven't they? Well, they have because we've been in an extended La Nina, which generally implies drier than normal, hotter than normal. And we saw that. We saw that through 22, the 22 crop season. We saw it for the first quarter of the 23 year. The drought monitor map was terrible looking and and it was in fact dry and um during that first quarter some early season planted uh areas of texas i'm quite sure were probably 
either prevented planting because of dryness or they were planted and failed because of dryness. That's a little bit ironic because a month or two later, <laughs> there's going to be prevented planting and failure because of wetness. We don't usually get that in the same uh, in the same season, but it's it's unfolding that way as a very strange year. It's it's one of the things that makes Texas Texas, right? I I guess it keeps me employed, so I I won't complain. Let's back up and and look at the uh, at the June supply demand report uh, that was issued last week. And from my layman's perspective, it seemed there were some positives and negatives for both the bulls and the bears in this report with maybe just a slight nod over to the bulls. What did we learn from USDA in this, in this month's report? Well, there's two different stories to tell because we're in that period of time where we're looking at old, the wrap up of the old crop marketing year, supply and demand balance, and then looking ahead to the new. So we've got both. And so the old crop story was a bit bullish in that it for the relatively few adjustments that they made, they raised U.S. exports, exports of the 22 crop that's been sitting in a warehouse somewhere. They've bumped that up because the pace of of uh, old crop exports has been pretty good. You know, last week we saw a marketing year high. Um, so because of that, they, they bumped up the exports in the balance sheet. That tightened up the ending stocks. And that probably explains why July futures are you know, two or three or four cents higher than, than new crop futures because it's a slightly, uh, slightly tighter, uh, ending stocks outcome, 3.2 million compared to about 3.5 for the new crop. The new crop situation is, um, I have more questions about what they did because, um, they, I think USDA was trying to account for the shift in the weather in Texas. We've gone from a, this dry period in the first quarter to an extended rainy period. Um, it's really since about Easter. Uh, it's rained by reports. It's been it's rained 20 inches in six weeks um, in parts of Texas, which, you know, in, in the high plains, that's their annual rainfall total. They've gotten it. Uh, they've gotten that. So USDA is assuming that that's a net benefit, that that moisture is going to translate into dry land actually being harvested and uh, that abandonment will be lower. And they're assuming, this this may be non-intuitive, they're assuming that the national average yield of cotton will actually be lower. What that means is, is that they're assuming that dry land acreage in West Texas will be harvested. Doesn't always happen. Um so that's built into what they uh, assumed about the, the production, planted acreage and harvested acreage in production. I don't know that I agree. I think the situation, honestly, is more complex, and you have to break it down by region. Uh, there are some parts of the state where abandonment will indeed likely be lower and production will be really, really good. Um, and then there are some parts of the state where I don't think USDA is incorporated yet what the, what the non- the non-harvesting of cotton that's going to happen on quite a bit of high plains acreage. Um, and it's all, all these comments are very geographically specific. So I can, I can get into that if, if you want that detail. Yeah. We'll come back to that in, in, in just a minute because, you know, again, once the report came out, report came out, often these reports, you can see a visible movement in price. 
And I didn't see a whole lot of movement in the cotton price after this report. Um, we still seem to be in that same range we've been in for the last few months. I guess my question is, what's the market waiting for right now? Um, when should growers expect to see prices maybe break through that uh, 86 to 88 cent ceiling? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And I agree with you. There, there wasn't a reaction the day of the report. We're still in this long-standing uh, uh, range, trading range. I think uh, basically the, the old crop price situation, I, I, I think as well, the July is going to mature and expire and we're going to be essentially totally trading new crop fundamentals, which are in the short run, that is to say over the summer, are going to be all about weather. And any any weather time, summertime, growing season weather situation has always got a few surprises in it that'll get speculators in the market betting long. That is to say that betting that the market's uh, going to be uh, smaller than we the market. The crop is going to be smaller than we're expecting. I think that's I think we're going to have that and then some. Uh, to answer your question, what's going to bust us out of this range? There's going to be at least one, maybe two uh, rallies based on speculation that the crop size is a lot smaller. And that may happen around the question of acreage. It could come in response to the June 30 acreage report that's coming out if that reflects a drop in acreage from what was measured in March. Uh, that could happen or if conditions get bad or if there's a tropical storm or what have, if there's anything to lower the expectations of production mixed with the notion that acreage may be less, um, you know, that could, that could whack a million bales off of the 16 million bale crop that USDA is currently penciling. I, I current, I, I, because of what I was uh, just getting to talk about the, the reduction in cotton harvested acreage in the high plains, I think that, that alone could take a million bales off of USDA's um, so if I'm thinking that I'm, you know, probably some deep pocketed speculators are, are thinking that too. And, you know, it doesn't take, it only takes one or two limit up days and we can be in the upper eighties. Uh, I, th I think that's entirely feasible. I, the fact is, I, I think that's bound, uh, to happen, uh, this, this summer. So, but, but specul speculative driven type of events don't really don't usually have the legs they can last two or three weeks or maybe even shorter uh so you know if the market goes to if new crop futures go to 85 and then 87 and then 89 i wouldn't i wouldn't fail to take some action i, I would suggest that people consider that as a selling opportunity for you know some some percentage some portion reliable portion of your production i'd be I'd be dollar cost averaging uh, selling on the way up. Yeah. Uh, John, back here, you, you know, you mentioned there kind of the interplay of these USDA acreage projections um, and how that's going to be, in fact, impacting uh, price points here uh, as we work through the season. So let's just level set real here. Back at the end of March, USDA was projecting, we believe, I think 11.3 million acres of cotton uh, for 2023 across the U.S., so, and you mentioned that next planning report is going to come out on June 30. Uh, all things considered, you, you mentioned a couple of factors there, specifically on the high plains, but 
What do you think that national acreage number is going to do? I want you to put on your your forecasting uh, hat, put a, look into your your uh, magic eight ball there, and um, yeah, what do you think acreage will be come that June thirty report? Given the intensity of cotton production and the acreage that's in the the area from Lubbock to the top of the Panhandle, I wouldn't be surprised if there were two or 300,000 fewer just just there. So that, that could take us from 11.26, the national all cotton number. That could easily take us to probably 10.9. Um, somewhere between 10.5 and 10.9 would be my would be my guess. With a lot of that being driven by what I'm just what I'm hearing, here with adjustments in Texas, but then I've been hearing anecdotal stuff about lower plantings in the Delta and and mostly the lower plantings in the Delta and lower plantings in Texas. I've been hearing that all spring, even though every report that came out, starting with yours, is 11 point something, you know, 10.9 at the lowest, but 11 point something, 11 point something, and 11 point something. So, you know, it's like I've been dragged kicking and screaming up from an expectation of having much fewer uh, cotton acres planted just, you know, just because of the historical price relationships made me think it was going to be 10.0. So now I hesitate to, you know, kind of guess, you know, because I was biased to begin with thinking it was going to be lower. Uh, But I I still, I hear all this anecdotal suggestion that, oh, fewer acres than we thought may be fewer acres than have been previously intended or, or measured, uh, it may be. So, you know, to be honest, I don't know what to think, but if I'm sitting there puzzling about it like that, then I'm sure a whole bunch of other market players are too. So there can, there'll be some, there'll be some speculating and betting even, even past the June 30 report, because the June 30 report is not going to capture you know, what ultimately gets planted in the rolling plains of Texas, you know, they'll, they'll put that stuff in in late June and we won't really know what's there until we have two or three FSA certified acreage reports under our belt. Well, that's not going to be till September, to be honest. Interesting. I would say we know that you're an expert uh, there in a Lone Star state and you're saying, well, you're just hearing anecdotes about other stuff. Let me assure you, this is an antidote friendly podcast. Okay. Uh, we, <laughs> We're yeah, we're like uh, the fellows around the coffee table at daybreak. We we want to hear all the rumors and hints and allegations and such. So, um, but to, to get us back on course here, the, the you did mention earlier you got uh, you are knowledgeable about a lot of the geo specific inside the state of Texas kind of planning conditions, field conditions at this time of year. Let's do focus on that for now. Uh, we've seen reports of really good cotton in the southern part of the state and along the coastal bend. Uh, the central part of the state's catching up. We've got a high plains area pushing to get the crop in as quickly as they can. Uh, so what are you hearing from your guys on the ground out there? And if uh, all of those acres cannot get planted for one reason or another, what options do our growers out there in Texas have? Okay. Uh, I'll start from south to north. So they, they plant in the Rio Grande Valley and in the coastal bend, they plant. <laughs> some Some of those crazy people plant uh in february but is basically they plant in march and finish up by april so they had done their normal planting time and then the rains kicked in around easter and south texas received a lot of that 
wetness too, but they had our, they had emerging cotton or better when it happened. And, and they plant, they do plant their sorghum and corn in February. So most of the crops, the rains were a net benefit in some spots. It was too wet, but it's hot now. And I, everything I've seen out my windshield for the last couple of weeks looks, looks pretty good. So if I had to guess right now, I'd say South Texas is going to have a really good, good crops, good, good cotton, good for what they planted, which was probably 20, 25% less year over year, they're going to have probably strong yields. Central Texas was delayed by some of those rains, but you know, there's not a big concentration of acreage there. I'm assuming they're catching up now. They may have had some prevented planting, but I'm assuming they're catching up now. The real question, the real question at the moment is in, is in the areas where the latest planting dates are. And that's traditional. It's not traditionally, it's, um, Absolutely. The Rolling Plains region, their planting dates are in June, some as late as June the 20th. And then the parts of the high plains that have the latest planting dates are south of Lubbock in what they call the Sandy Land, all the, you know, basically from Lubbock down almost as far as Midland. Um, that country, from, from all accounts, the growers are trying to get in cotton. So they're planting feverishly in between the rains. To get in cotton, they've been, they're probably the source of the reports I've heard of uh, late breaking uh, sales from cottonseed dealers, uh, doing a whole lot of business to, to those people to getting in that crop. Now, if that crop gets in, gets planted to moisture, um, you know, that this is the kind of year where that sandy ground will produce a crop, get harvested, uh, and, and do well. So, so there's that. Then the remaining question is, from the high plains from Lubbock North, we're hearing the, you know, those areas get planted in, in May and, and usually wind up at the end of May. Okay. So they, they took the brunt of a lot of these rain events, hail events, storms, flooding, horrendous flooding in some places. Uh, so the combination of that I have been told is that anywhere from 50 to 75 percent of what was intended for cotton is not going to result in cotton being harvested from it and it's either fallow or it's going back to a short season corn or grain sorghum or forage crop well there's there's so many acres up in that part of the world that you know that's that's what's going to change the calculus of of the u.s balance sheet and what usj will ultimately have to adjust to is data from from that region right there and just how many fewer acres um have been impacted that way and like i say it'll it'll just take a while for that for that to get worked out i'd say well past it maybe maybe by the july wazi but probably the probably the august one john look let me ask a, a quick question there, if if a lot of those acres shift over to uh, to a short season corn, and uh, you know they they get a crop out of that, how is that is how is that going to impact the overall corn market? Considering there are parts of the Midwest right now that are you know are pretty droughty and dry, and uh, you know their production may or you know may suffer a little bit. Are we going to see this kind of average out a little bit? And and what's it, what might that do for corn prices? Well, it would take the edge off of, um, to my way of thinking, it would take the edge off of a short, you know, a, a market reaction to an expected short corn crop 
you know, if, if, if 300,000 acres in Texas comes in and gets, you know, I don't know what they yield up there, 150, 175 bushels to the acre, um, then I guess if it's a short season corn, it, the yield potential is probably a bit less. So, you know, I don't know how much it's replacing of good corn land in the Midwest that's not being planted. Uh, I would tend to beg off because I'm less of a grain market. I am not a grain market analyst. Well, we we obviously have just have just crossed the line. It, you know, not yes, it's a it's a cotton a cotton podcast. But gosh, we will talk about other crops whenever we feel like it needs to uh, it needs to come in and 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 has a certain has a certain sort of influence on on the cotton acres. So so with that, I think we're just going to call time on this discussion before we before all of us get in any more trouble. Um, John, thanks so much for uh, for taking time to visit. I know you're on your way to a field day. Uh, and uh, and have a presentation to uh, to share with growers down in that South Texas area tonight. So we uh, appreciate your uh, your perspective on this market and the crop for this year. Uh, we'll be we'll stay in touch and and maybe we can visit again soon. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, sir, John. We appreciate you, sir. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to say a special thanks to Dr. John Robinson for joining us today to share his insight on current cotton market news. Uh, and as always, we want to thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you do like what you've heard, please be sure and spread the word. Tell your farm and friends about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues in the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, he's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, keep those planters rolling and stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, he 